What's up, everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift. We're an SLP couple from California with three boys and a passion for finding better ways to support autistic kids. I'm Chris. You might know me as Speech Dude. I'm a neurodivergent high school SLP and the creator of the dynamic assessment of social-emotional learning, and I specialize in crafting neurodiversity-affirming IEPs through my online course. And I'm Jesse, a sensory integration trained SLP, owner of a top rated clinic in Los Angeles, and the creator of the Inside Out Sensory Communication Programs for Parents and Therapists. Join us weekly to learn neurodiversity affirming ways to support social emotional development and regulation in autistic kids. Are you ready to make the shift? Let's do it. Hello, hello. Welcome to Making the Shift. Today we are talking about how you can survive under one roof when you have different people who have different sensory needs. It is likely that if you live with any other people, you probably have different sensory needs than the people that you live with, right? It's pretty inevitable. You throw a group of people together, they're going to have different sensory needs. And I will tell you, in our household, there are six of us. There's me, Chris, and our four kids. And between the six of us, we cover every sensory difference or every sen sensation pattern. And we're not going to dive too much into the weeds of that today. We have lots of previous episodes on that. So if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say sensation patterns, you can go back and listen to previous episodes. We've also interviewed on the show before Dr. Winnie Dunn, who is the one who created the framework for these sensation patterns that you can listen to. But today we're going to talk about if you are home and what happens when one person is getting dysregulated because of another person's sensory needs. And this is something I hear all the time from parents. I hear, okay, well, I love to do it this way, but we're like this, this sibling always causes the other sibling to get dysregulated. What should I do? So today I'm going to be giving you four strategies or four things to think about. I'll say the four S's. The four S's of things to think about how you can survive under one roof when you have family members who have different sensory needs. All right. So first of all, quick reminder that when people are, when we think about someone's sensory system, we think about, do they have a low threshold or a high threshold? A low threshold is when someone has a small cup, it doesn't take a lot of sensory input for them to notice, it doesn't take a lot to bother them, they just have a lower kind of cup for all of that input. Versus someone who has a high threshold has a big cup. So people who have a big cup can take lots of sensory input, and it's going to take more for them to notice it, it's going to take more for them to register, it's going to take more for them to get dysregulated. So that's definitely a good starting point is thinking about, okay, my family members, do they have a small cup or a big cup? Because this will affect how we create this kind of environment for them at home that's going to be the most comfortable for them and the most regulating. Okay, so let's talk about the first S. The first S to think about is space. So you want everyone to have their own space. You want to know what the optimal space is or the optimal environment for every person in the house. Where are they most comfortable? Where are they most regulated? And I'll give you some examples of our own family in case that helps you. For my six-year-old who has a very small cup, 
his optimal environment is in his room. So if there's ever a time when there's going to be a lot going on or he's already dysregulated, he's going to do best when he's in his room. So his own space. Versus my four-year-old, he has a high a high threshold, a big cup, and he does great just like chilling on the couch. That is his happy place or jumping on the trampoline in the backyard. So I would say couch, trampoline, that's where he feels the best. Versus my two-year-old who is a seeker and has a big cup, he loves being outside. So his happy place, his optimal environment is in the backyard. And I would say that's probably true with Chris as well. Chris's happy place is wherever he's like moving. Got to be moving. Okay, but for me, I like to be in the house and I like the door closed. I maybe only when it's cold. I don't know. It's like the sound of the outside and the wind coming in and I'm really sensitive to the cold. So for me, when I'm inside on the couch, which is right next to the door to the backyard, and Chris and Jack go out into the backyard and leave the door open, that like irks me. Like uh, it's so uncomfortable for my sensory system to be feeling that cold wind coming in. So instead of just sitting there and allowing that to happen, knowing that it's going to dysregulate me, I just try to be really proactive with immediately shutting the door or immediately telling him as he's walking out to shut the door. Okay. So first S to think about out of the four is space. What is the optimal environment for each person in the house. Where is your happy place? And how can you make sure that that person is spending time in that happy place? Okay, our second S to think about is the schedule. I think as parents, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to have our kids on this perfect schedule of we're all going to do this when we get home and then we're all going to do this and we're all going to have dinner and be happy and sit there together and then we're all going to, you know, bath time for everyone and then pajama. Okay, so while schedules can be helpful for kids, of course, and structure, try to allow your kids to set their schedule of what is the best for them. And for example, I have, you know, we have four boys, three of them, Well, no, they all four take baths every night. The baby I'm just kind of taking out of the equation, right? But my two-year-old and four-year-old are totally happy taking a bath at the very same exact time. They think it's fun to be in there together. They both have high thresholds, so they don't mind all the action versus my six-year-old wants to take his bath by himself, right? So just thinking about that is we're kind of staggering their schedules to do what's best for them rather than everyone doing everything at the same time even though in the perfect world, we would all be doing that. But think about what is their schedule like and what needs to be built in so that they're more regulated. Okay, for some kids, they might need to come home and chill out, which honestly, I recommend for every person. But what does that chill out time look for that look like for them? Where are they going to be and just allowing them to have as much control over their schedule as possible? Okay, so that was our second S. Third S, so the third thing to think about are what strategies you can use. So what sensory strategies are going to help get either the adult regulated yourself or your kids regulated? And that's really something to think about is, okay, what do I need to do for myself when I get home in order to 
be calm or in order to stay regulated. And then the same thing, like, is this just a me thing or is washing dishes away from your kids like a great way to (laughs) regulate yourself? It's like, I would, I need that time sometimes to myself, go in the kitchen, be alone, feel the warm water on my hands, right? Maybe that's something I know is regulating for me. So I intentionally make the time to step away from the kids who are all crazy and go and do that for myself. I know that my six-year-old needs cuddle time. That is like the most regulating thing on the planet for him. Um, He's also a really anxious kid. So I think like any of that time to emotionally connect and co-regulate is really helpful. But my six-year-old needs his cuddle time. My four-year-old needs tickles, like loves intense input. And for him, tickles fill his cup and really help to get him regulated. My two-year-old Jack loves like, I'm going to get you games or picking him up or peekaboo, like some of these really high intensity types of like people games. That is what feeds his sensory system and keeps him happy and regulated versus myself. I'm like, okay, I can't have too many sounds on all at once. So if there's a time when the TV's on and Chris has the radio, radio, I don't know, Spotify on in the kitchen, and then the dogs are barking and then the kids are yelling, like I've got to like start turning stuff off. Wish I could turn off the kids sometimes. Just kidding. But I know my sensory system is getting too dysregulated when there's just too many different sound sources going. Okay. So knowing that we got to turn the TV on mute for a little or turn the TV off when things get too crazy. So know what strategies work for each of the people in your household. Okay, so our first one was space, know their optimal environment or their happy place. Two was their schedule, let them choose their schedule as much as possible to accommodate their sensory system. Three was know the sensory strategies you can use. And number four, of the fourth S is self-advocacy. Teach everyone in the house how to advocate for themselves. It is very, very easy. And I'm not trying to give parenting advice, although that's kind of what this is. And this is just what has worked for me and what I have learned is it's so easy to get into this pattern of like, quote, saving your kids, you know, always stepping in don't hit your brother, don't do this to your sister, stop it right now, you're in trouble, right? Like you getting in there and having to like break things up or speak for one child and and tell the other child not to do something. And for me, something that I have learned that has been really, really beneficial is teaching my kids to advocate for themselves. So I'm kind of like acting as the mediator and not the person who is advocating on behalf of the child. So it's more like, oh, um, you know, teaching Jack to say, stop it, right? So like, oh, Jack, you don't like that? Tell him to stop. Or Connor, do you see Jack? He really doesn't like that right now. What do you think we should do? So we can talk to both parties and teaching them to self-advocate. So you're kind of like the playground monitor. You're like the one making sure everything's cool, on the playground. And it's not like, obviously we will intervene when we have to intervene. If something intense happens, which 
with the four boys in the house, they do. But for the most part, I try to just point out the things that I see happening and then guide the kids and how they can advocate for themselves. And that doesn't just include telling people, telling others like stop it or don't, or I don't like that. That might mean like, oh, I see that Jack is crawling all over you and you really don't like that right now. Like, why don't you go find a place in the house where you can be alone? Like, why don't you go into your room? Why don't you go outside? You know, so encouraging them that they know that there are always other places that they could get up to go to feel more regulated. All right. So know, so four things to think about to survive with different sensory needs under one roof. One is their space. Two is their schedule. Three is sensory strategies. And four is self-advocacy. So these things have really, really helped in our household with lots of sensory differences. And I hope that they help in yours. So thank you so much for being here with me today. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.